Today is Thursday, the 11th of February, 2021. Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. Welcome to episode number 137 of the Barnhard Podcast. This is Mark Doherty sitting in for Super Nerd, along with Anne and special guest, Dr. Ed Matza. Hooray! Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hey there. How you doing, Dr. Matza? Uh, too blessed to be stressed. Ah, right on, right on, right on. And I have to, I have to jump in and be for full disclosure for everybody. We're releasing this on, um, and that's why we timestamped it February 11th because, of course, February 11th is the eighth, the eighth anniversary of of, of something of something something happened eight years ago today. Uh, eight years ago, the 11th of February. Um, we're actually recording this on Saturday the 6th. So just for full disclosure, just in case, ju- you never know. I mean, anything could happen between in the in the next five days. So um, recorded like on Saturday. Like a bolt of lightning. Yeah, a bo- bolt of lightning, St. Peter and Paul in the sky with flaming swords. I mean, you know, all kinds of things could happen. But uh, that's that's where we are. But we are doing the big 8th anniversary podcast and and there's plenty to discuss um on the anti-papacy front so mark what uh, get it get us going here so in, in case and Anne's hint didn't quite get through to all of you the it's the 11th is the eighth anniversary of pope benedict reading out his semi-renunciation uh to the cardinals in in rome so that was on the 11th of february 2013 and uh, it, it's actually interesting, and I've never really thought too much about this, that it's also the feast of Our Lady of Lords in the traditional calendar. Because what happened? What was the big announcement at Lords from Our Lady? I, it was the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, I am the Immaculate Conception, yeah. Right. So that kind of ties in with how a certain... It does. Arch, <laughs> ...archbishop described what Benedict did on this day. Indeed, indeed. Mm. So uh, we're going to talk about a number of things, current events, uh, the anti-papacy, its relation to some things that are going on right now, uh, some things that you might uh, identify as diabolical disorientation, and some... Uh, recent comments from Bergoglio regarding Vatican II, as well as the latest commentary and a letter from Archbishop Vigano, where he displays some logic and rational thought that doesn't quite add up. Yeah. So, Dr. Matza, I'm not sure where you want to jump off or where what you have in, in your notes, but why don't you give us topic number one and, and off we go. Okay, well, I think that the touchstone... For the conversation should be Archbishop Vigano's uh, January 31st letter to a priest that had written to him with uh, apparently with questions about what is rightful obedience to authority when it seems that the uh, authority in the church today is uh, either being exercised illegitimately or uh, you know questions of that nature um, and uh, it was published by the remnant uh, and it's a blockbuster uh, because finally uh, Archbishop Vigano has sort of revealed his cards uh, as to what he thinks about the status of Jorge Bergoglio. And it's not the most edifying thing in the world because 
to, to my mind, and, and as you describe it, we'll see if the listenership agrees. To my mind, I think Vigano, you know, got in the car and proceeded to drive at 100 miles an hour and hit head on a wall of the law of non-contradiction. So why don't you go ahead? You're, you're the academic, Dr. Matza. You're used to, you're used to this, kind of, <laughs> this kind of thought. <laughs> you're the academic. You go ahead and describe what, uh, what Vigano said. Okay, I'll try not to take that as an insult. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so as the academic. So, uh, well, let's just kind of, what I did was I went through his, um, his letter and I kind of teased out what I thought were the, the most important um, statements. So, um, again, he, he talks about the issues of authority and how to resist uh, an unjust authority. Um, but then more specifically, he, he finally, like I say, uh, is on the record now as to what he thinks about Bergoglio. So uh, I'll just give, give you some quotes and we can just discuss it, I suppose. Um, all right, so here's the first one. Uh, Bergoglio himself who ought to represent the highest authority on earth, uses the power of the holy keys to support the globalist agenda and promote heterodox doctrines, well aware that the principle of prima sedes uh, nemini judicator permits him to proceed undisturbed. So let me stop there and unpack a little fancy jargon from canon law and from medieval church history. Uh, So from earliest times, there has been the notion uh, that the the first chair, right, prima sedes, meaning the chair of Peter and the occupant, cannot be judged by anybody on planet Earth. Um, And this has to do with the fact that he has been established by Christ as his vicar and therefore, there is no earthly authority, even within the church, that can pass sentence on him. Now, um, I, you know, we could have a very long and interesting discussion about the history of the church and how this has actually played out between kings and emperors and councils and whatnot. But um, anyway, essentially, this is, this is to be respected. Um, so in the context of what Vigano is saying here, he seems to say that Bergoglio has the keys and that uh, apparently he cannot be judged by anybody within the church in a juridical proceeding. You know, they can't hold a trial and then condemn him as a heretic or something or as an antipope, but we can discuss that more later. But then a little further down uh, in his article, in his letter, uh, unless you want to jump in and say something here. Well, well the only thing- go ahead, Mark. Go, go ahead, ahead, Mark. My only point there would have been that he, he says that he's free to promote heterodox doctrine knowing that he'll be undisturbed. But even that shouldn't be possible with a legitimate true pope. Exactly, exactly. I think, I think at this point we need to play one round of um, spot the false-based premise. And gentlemen, if you would help me out, um, we, we, we will, the three of us together, if you will indulge me, we will sing the short version of the Jeopardy thinking music and let, and let the people think <laughs> about this so they can figure out what the false-based premise is. And then we will be collectively <laughs> the <laughs> Alex <laughs> Trebek. <laughs> yeah, here we go. We're ready, ready? One, two, three. Dun, 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 Wow. Da 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 da
Okay, there it is. Let's take it. Let's take it on the road, guys. So, all right, folks, you had you had 30 seconds of the most bizarre rendition of the Jeopardy Think music to think about what is the false base premise here that just burns this to the ground right off the bat. And who wants to take this? Mark, you want to take this? Well, I, I think we just touched on it. The, the, the false base premise is that Francis is Pope. And... <laughs> And if you hold that false base premise, even if your logic is flawless, you're going to end up on a dead end street. Yep. There's just there, there's no way there's no way around it. And you and you can't be it doesn't matter how good your your rational thought or anything else. You can't get anywhere if you start there. And you end up and, you know, it should be a big clue that you end up saying things that are diametrically opposed to the 2,000-year consistent, infallible, magisterial teaching and belief of the entire church, all of the saints, all the doctors of the church, everybody. You're, you, it's you against all of them who have said, oh, see, no, he can't be, he can't pe- be teaching things that are just, that he can't be an arch-heresiarch and also and also be the vicar of Christ. We've got a problem here and this was defined by the grace and mercy of God at Vatican 1 so that you know, I don't know, maybe hint hint the divine providence knew, of course he knew that this was all going to happen and said, "Guys, I'm going to give you the answers to the test." I'm going to give you a cheat sheet so that when this happens and you take the exam, you're going to have the answer right in front of you. It's an open book test. Oh, isn't that an interesting, isn't that an interesting thought? Salvation is an open book test. Dude, that's deep. That's deep. So, um... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's all been defined. Papal infallibility has been defined so that when exactly this happens, everybody can just pump the brakes and say, wait a minute, something is desperately, desperately wrong here. And then you start looking backwards. And um, it, it all goes to the thing of what's going on right now that all of the intransigent Francis's Pope institutional church people are just openly discussing said vacantism, you know, like, like it's no big deal, openly discussing the, the joys and glories of the schismatic Eastern Orthodox. And Hey guys, second look, second look at the East, you know, and, and getting all enamored with the Eastern Orthodox. And they refuse to discuss the thing that more than I find at this point, I think it's far more than half of tradidom pew sitters either hold as their belief or strongly, strongly suspect that Pope Benedict the Pope and his resignation was, an inval- was invalid. And again, calling out just a, a, a super great guy, but we got to put Peter Kwasniewski at the top of this list. He recently wrote a piece um, which was published at 1, 1 Peter 5, which apparently is still in business and they're still, every once in a while, they still post something. Um, but Kwasniewski wrote this piece 
talks all about Sethvacantism, talks all about um, the Eastern Orthodox. Not a word is said about Pope Benedict's resignation and the possibility that Pope Benedict is still the Pope. Peter Kwasniewski, in what was it? It was 2018, in like December 2018, fourth quarter 2018, wrote a review of Antonio Sochi's book in which he said in, in no uncertain terms that Sochi's argument that Pope Benedict's um, resignation was legally suspect at best was convincing and that after reading the book that he Kwasniewski was was convinced that there that this argument had had legs and had something to it Kwasniewski then starts getting telephone calls as soon as I post as soon as I posted his his review and you know this thing is now visible to you know most of the English speaking trad world Kwasniewski clearly and and it, this has been admitted he starts getting telephone calls he starts editing this thing I stopped counting at eight edits and within what was it 40 48 hours he had he had edited that review such that he he changed his position 180 degrees from the initial post saying this is convincing and Sochi's argument has legs, I'm paraphrasing, to inverting it 180 degrees to, of course, no, this is this is all wrong, da 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 da. And again, I'm paraphrasing, um, but I, I have all that, and I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll link to all of it in the show notes, including his original. In fact, we'll probably put his original review in full in the show notes so that everybody can see it and be reminded of it. And you just stop and say, what is going on here? There's this 800-pound gorilla in the room, and and these people will talk about things that I mean, shame on them. They should know that these that these positions of set of 1958 set of vacantism, and certainly they should know that the the schismatic Eastern Orthodox that these positions are are clearly incorrect and have have really no place at the table of serious discussion and the one thing that is so glaringly obvious that they won't even touch even even though they've talked about it before but clearly got coerced into changing their position on it so uh, and dismount soapbox now well i'll just back in up on on the whole dr k thing that was amazing to watch first of all if you're writing a a book review and the conclusion of the book says that benedict is pope um if you're writing a positive review and reinforcing the conclusions therein, and it's of this magnitude in terms of the gravity of the subject, I mean, you don't do that unthinkingly or casually. Yeah. So to watch him, you could literally watch him editing this. I didn't count eight times. I think I counted four or five, but I made a couple posts about this myself. You could watch it in real time. Yeah. And you knew something happened. You knew he got phone calls. You knew, you know, um, Something was going on, and honestly, the the final review did end up being a 180 from the first one he put up. So, and and God love him, he kept saying things like, "Well, I I was my first my first uh, draft of this was unclear." Like Peter Kwasniewski doesn't have command of his own mother tongue such that he writes something, he proofreads it, he posts it, it sits there for fully 24 hours, 
And what he wrote and what he posted is 180 degrees the opposite of what he meant to say. I mean, come on. That's that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so... Yeah, it just goes to show you how how afraid and this this core problem of fear and we're going to well I'm sure we'll be circling back to this that people are living under this dictatorship of fear whether it's being afraid that they're going to lose lose benefactors they're going to um they're going to lose a job they're going to lose a career path um their bishop's going to throw them out I mean that's that's what Satan is playing on with everyone. Everyone is terrified. Everyone I've talked to, um, you know, including priests and clerics who are within the Ecclesia Day um, communities, they uh, they know that Bergoglio is coming for them, and they're terrified, and they're they all think that they should just adopt the alligator is going to eat us last. Let's just keep our heads down and let's see if we can't. Uh, wait this out and survive this and I I just cannot emphasize how wrong that is our Lord didn't say keep your head down and and run the clock and play prevent defense our Lord said take up your cross so and that and that sentiment uh, runs not only throughout the fraternity but also the society and it's it's shocking to me yeah it's also the society good point who are who are not and well they they are. They were under the auspices of Ecclesia Day. In fact, Ecclesia Day was kind of formed. That office was was formed to have you know interactions and, and negotiations with the SSPX. And then what formed uh, was under the auspices also of the of Ecclesia Day was all of the communities who were, um, shall we say, completely, totally, regularly um, in in communion with. Uh, with Rome in a way obviously distinct and different from from the way the SSPX is. So when we talk about Ecclesia Day, we're talking about the Fraternity of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King, um, Good Shepherd, and then, you know, like all the Bened- the Trad Benedictine monasteries, all those guys, um, the, the nuns at Gower, Missouri, et cetera, et cetera. All, all those groups, they're generally referred to as Ecclesia Day, even though Ecclesia Day, the office, has been basically abolished and now it's all under the congregation for the doctrine of the faith which is i i don't know in one sense it's terrifying in another sense does it just mean that you know somebody got a new box of business cards i don't know it's it's all a terrible mess though and um so that's what we mean by ecclesia day yeah, I often wonder why and I, I promise I'm going to get us back on track here but I, I often wonder why uh, Pope Benedict in, um, how shall we say, the eight active years of his papacy did not appoint a bishop or bishops for the fraternity. That that was just unbelievable. Anyway, uh, Dr. Matza, let me, I just want to read off a portion of this first quote uh, that, that you started off with again, just so the readership can, can listen. And with clarity, here is an archbishop of the church who is clearly no enemy of Christ. Okay, obviously he's done more than most. Uh, let's leave it at that in the in the current crisis. But he is disoriented, and he is able to type these words with absolute clarity and not see the contradiction in terms that that he's writing down. So the short version of this is, and then you can go on to the second point, Doctor uh, Bergoglio himself. 
the highest authority on earth uses the power of the holy keys to promote heterodox doctrine. Yep. Not possible, folks. Not yep. possible. Yep. And and the the vicar of Christ is in himself the principle of unity and the standard of schism. So um, we're probably getting to this. Does somebody have the quote about Bergoglio being in schism with himself? Dr. Matza, is that in your list? Uh, it is. Uh, it's kind of further down the list, but we can jump into it now if you guys want. Yeah, I mean, if we're, you know, we're, we're dexterous, we're nimble. Um, okay. you know, ma constantly making this argument that, oh, Bergoglio is totally the Pope, but he's in schism with himself. This is, this is completely, totally impossible, irrational, violates the law of non-contradiction. The, the principle of unity and standard of schism, the vicar, vicar of Christ, by definition, by mathematical definition, logical definition. I mean, we're talking about, you know, just base level stuff here, folks. Cannot be in schism with himself or the vector of schism because he, he is the standard by which it is judged. The vicar of Christ is the standard by which it is judged. You are either in union with him or you are not, and it's, it's his person. It's not just the nebulous idea of the office. It's deeper than that. It's, it's the person. And so all of these quotes, Dr. Matsev, have you found the quote? Do you wanna, do you wanna yes, drop it? Yes, here else? we okay, go. go. So, yeah, so there's a bunch of them. Um, Here's one. On closer inspection, it is precisely in order to defend hierarchical communion with the Roman pontiff that it is necessary to disobey him, to, to denounce his errors, and to ask him to resign. And then he goes a little further than that, and he says, and to pray that God calls him to himself as soon as possible if a good for the church can derive from this, uh, and then, and that's going to make the, uh, the, you know, the leftists in the church go, you know, yep. bonkers. Oh, yeah. um, oh, yeah. But then, but further down, he says, uh, let's see here, our obedience has nothing to do with either fearful servility or with insubordination. On the contrary, it permits us to suspend any judgment on who is or is not Pope continuing to conduct ourselves as as i mean i could keep going here but maybe you you guys want to chime in yet um i, I, mean, I mean what can I, what I, can one say it's it's it's, it's stunning it's stunning speak speaking of absurdity this is what he says he says uh continuing to conduct ourselves as good catholics even if the pope derides us despises us or excommunicates us because the paradox does not lie in the disobedience of the good against the authority of the Pope, but rather in the absurdity of having to disobey a person who is simultaneously Pope and heresiarch, Athanasius and Arius at the same time. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> one who is de jure light, but de facto darkness. Uh, and I'll finish it off with the, uh, with the last uh, thing here. Uh, the paradox is that in order to re remain in communion with the apostolic see, we must separate ourselves from the one who should represent it and see ourselves bureaucratically excommunicated 
by the one who is in an objective state of schism with himself. I mean, I mean, it's, let's just write a love letter to Luther while we're at it. Let's just write a love letter to, you know, Grand Antelope of Constantinople or Grand Antelope of Moscow, whoever that is. I mean, how can you write those words like Mark said? How can, how can that flow into your keyboard and you not sit there and see what you're saying? A, a complete and total denial of the rational order, turning, turning reality on its head, giving a big, wet, sloppy kiss to breaking the law of non-contradiction. It's, it is absolutely stunning. And Vigano has, has done, I mean, in my estimation, just incalculable damage to his own reputation. I mean, we, Mark said, yes, absolutely. This, he's on side in, in general terms, but how can you say things that are so irrational and and it just what you think you're smart you think you're cute you're just you're just telling everybody all right let's just all just be protestants forever and let's well that's get, exactly yeah, right that's yeah. exactly the mindset for someone to write this to say well everyone has to come to their own conclusion to disobey uh you're a protestant yeah you're you're lutheran you are totally totally lutheran um, and you are doing the Freemasons' work. You you are fighting their battle for them. You know what what we I think Super Nerd and I in the last podcast we quoted Patton about. You know the objective in wars is not for you to go die for your country, but to get the other poor B A S T A R D to go die for his country. Okay, that that's exactly what's happening right now. The Freemasons are at war with the papacy and Holy Mother Church, and Trad Francis's Pope people are now fighting the Freemasons' war and do and doing it for them. They're they're just they're tearing the whole thing to the ground. Archbishop Vigano, if you're listening to this, for the love of God and His Holy Church, how can you not see this? My, my goodness. Stop and just sit in stillness and ask yourself the question, am I in a state of diabolical disorientation? Am I in a state of darkened blindness of the intellect because of this false base premise that I am holding? And the further I go in this, the blinder I become. Archbishop, we beg you, we love you, we, we're on your side as a human being, but th- this just, this is insanity. I'm going to get t-shirts printed up that say bureaucratically excommunicated. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, Bergoglio can't any, excommunicate any of us from anything, and the, in reality, and the fact of the matter is, at this point, if, if I'm a little bit nervous that I still haven't been, you know, excommunicated by Bergoglio and his anti-church. And, you know, with each passing day, I'm, I'm going to be more and more nervous about showing up at my particular judgment, not having the document in hand to show to our Lord and say, oh, look, he, excommu- he you know, air quotes, he excommunicated me from the anti-church. I mean, 
you, this, this well, go, that, go ahead. So let, let me jump in here and share some quotes speak with, from some other in, uh, elevated individuals here, because um, here's, the, here's the, one of the quotes that's so disturbing here. By one who is an, in an objective state of schism with himself, right? That's Vigano's phrase. Now, let me share with you from Cardinal Burke. Uh, Cardinal Burke gave an interview to LifeSite News uh, about a couple weeks after the Amazon uh, Synod concluded. Actually, it's from November 11th, 2019. And listen, listen to this. It says, uh, while the document from the Amazon Synod is less explicit in the embrace of pantheism, um, it does not repudiate the statements in the working document which constitute an apostasy from the Catholic faith, stated Burke. Quote, the working document doesn't have doctrinal value, but what if the Pope were to put his stamp on that document? People say, if you don't accept that, you'll be in schism. And I maintain that I would not be in schism because the document contains elements that defect from the apostolic tradition. So my point would be the document is schismatic. I'm not. And then it says here, I guess the LifeSite News was reporting on an interview that Cardinal Burke did with uh, Russ Duhat from uh, New York Times, I guess. Duhat then pressed Burke to explain the implications of the Pope backing a document that is schismatic, stating, quote, but how can that be possible? You're effectively implying that the Pope would be leading a schism, unquote, to which Burke replied, quote, yes, unquote. <laughs> Duhat, Duhat then asked, isn't that a deep contradiction of how Catholics think about the office of the papacy? And Burke responded, and wait for this one, this is a doozy, quote, of course, exactly. It's a total contradiction. And I pray that this wouldn't happen. And to be honest with you, I don't know how to address such a situation. As far as I can see, there's no mechanism in the universal law of the church to deal with such a situation, unquote. I, I know how to address it. Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Burke calls a press conference, which in, in 2021 means that there's someone sitting across the table from him with an iPhone with a camera on it. And Cardinal Burke says, <coughs> significant canonical irregularities have been identified with regards to the resignation proffered by Pope Benedict XVI in February of 2013. Pending further investigation, I hereby declare a state of suspense. Mic drop. And then, it's, what's the saying? Is it Augustine? The truth is like a lion. Just turn it loose, and it will take care of itself. And of course, our Lord is himself the truth. All that's missing, all that needs to happen, is if someone with authority would just step forward and say this. And the reason why Vigano 
is just is talking and talking and I mean it's to the point now where he's basically a regular columnist and life side he he syndicates I mean he gets when he writes something it's published by numerous people in numerous languages basically simultaneously he's almost publishing weekly now he's almost like a weekly columnist and you know the thought was he he goes into exile and goes into hiding for fear of his life and we weren't going to hear much from him or that's kind of the way that it sounded like and the way he was talking at the beginning he's he's talking on a weekly basis now why because there is a vacuum nobody is providing any sort of leadership whatsoever vegano sees this and is thinking to himself i have to do something i have to provide some sort of leadership the tragedy is is that as we've just discussed he's operating from a false base premise and so the things that he's saying are adding fuel to the fire fighting the freemasons battles for them doing damage that is is going to require extremely strong leadership slash supernatural intervention to undo and walk back now. Yeah, by, by this January 31st letter, what he's done is he's, he's not only ticked off the Benedict as Pope folks, uh, <laughs> uh, he's also ticked off the people who think uh, um, Bergoglio is not Pope because he's flaming heretic. Um, so he's, he's pleased, unfortunately, he's pleased nobody with this, although I will give him this. He, he does say here, all right, so the first part of the statement is going to be hard to take, but the second part at least makes some sense, okay? He says here, uh, da, 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 da. we can nevertheless recognize a pope as a heretic and as such refuse on a case-by-case -case basis to show him the obedience to which he would otherwise be entitled. We do not judge him because we do not have the authority to do so, but we recognize him for who he is, waiting for providence to arouse those who can pronounce it definitively and authoritatively. So at least at the very end there, he's trying to light a flame under you know other people in the world, other archbishops and cardinals, to finally do, do something, say something authoritatively. But again, he's got his wires crossed, as far as I can see, in terms of the status of uh, the situation. Right, and I suspect what's also going on is that, you know, and obviously I don't want to put words in Cardinal Burke's mouth in any way, but I suspect that they're looking at this situation with, you know, the, these press releases about Bergoglio can't do anything because his sciatica is so bad and, and et cetera. And they're thinking, okay, okay, he's going to resign. He's going to resign. And then all of our problems will be solved. Oh no, sweetie. Oh no, 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 no. No. If Bergoglio goes away, oh, it, it's just getting started at that point because you're going to have anti-pope probably Tagle who has been who has been handpicked by the Chinese Communist Party who are funding the Vatican to the tune of 2 billion a year and Tagle is a high stakes gambling addict and he has been under the control of the Chinese mafia through the casinos in Macau where he owes millions and millions and millions of dollars in debt from his gambling losses. And so he's already under the thumb of the Chinese mafia. I mean, this is just turning into like a, a bad Quentin Tarantino movie or something, you know? I mean, it's just, it's redonkulous. And so the Chinese, the Chinese already have him under control. They want him in. That guy isn't even 60 years old, kids. That guy isn't even 60. 
oh no, it's just going to get way worse. We have to go to the root of the problem, which is Pope Benedict's resignation, fake resignation. Go ahead. Uh, Just uh, on that last passage that you read, I just wanted to point out where he says, um, we should refuse on a case by case basis to show him obedience. Oh my gosh. Again, (sighs) again, that is. That's Protestantism. That is, that is Protestantism. It's just, I can't, I can't believe what I'm, what I'm seeing and reading. And the other comment that I'd make is I wonder the date of this letter is 31st of January of uh, January. And we know from his other letters and, you know, writings, whatnot, that I don't know to what degree the archbishop believed that Trump was anointed in some way. Um, I wonder the timing of this and and corresponding with, uh, with the faux inauguration. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what my point is, but it feels like there's something there. Well, Vigano was, yeah, he, he said things that were, that were very cringe about, about Trump. Well, we did an entire episode about this, about, you know, Vigano, um, basically referring to Trump as, if not the catacon, then a catacon. Um, very, very right. strongly, very strongly. And, you know, we're all just sitting here saying, oh, don't do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's it's all extraordinarily, extraordinarily troubling. And what this, what this goes to at, in terms of the, this, this, nouveau chic protestantism you know trad catholic nouveau protestantism this whole it's completely new eight years ago today none of those people who are francis's pope and and making these arguments they they eight years ago today all of those people were totally sound on this question it's only the the bergolian anti-papacy um that has that has taken them into this state of confusion and and diabolical disorientation but what they keep trying to to talk up is ultramontanism they get oh well we're all we're no longer papalators and we've we've figured out that ultramontanism is the problem here and for the listenership just a very quick review what is ultramontanism it's me it means that you believe that the pope has the power of the pope and it it's very confusing because it contains the word ultra which in our minds as english speakers implies too much too much pope too much power that is not what the term ultramontanism is even even means or is referring to ultra means in this case beyond as in physically beyond montane the mountains the alps it's drawing a distinction between the gallican position in france and the position of you know people on the other side of the alps you know in italy and austria etc cetera, etc cetera, who believe in in the pope's power um that he is an absolute monarch and 
the words of Christ are true. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and what you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and what you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Yeah, we actually believe that Christ knew what he was talking about and wasn't lying. Um, yeah, that's ultramontanism. It's not saying that you're, it's not saying too much, too much. Um, and so that's the problem is they're all now trying to shade this, this new form of Protestantism as well. We, we're just walking back the extreme position of the ultramontanes. Well, if you mean the people who are on the east side of the Alps relative to France, yes. And that's, that is no insult. And I'll even take it a step further. To be Catholic is to be ultramontane. It's, it's part of the deal. So, yeah. Yeah, they're basically going back and denying Vatican I and, and saying, you know, all the critics of Vatican I, well, it turns out they're right. And, and Bergoglio is actually a vector of truth in that regard. Yeah, yeah. It's absurd. Bergoglio has fixed the church now because now, now the church is completely done with, it's basically done with the papacy. Again, you've just, you've just declared that you're on side with the Freemasons. I mean, red flag at all, at all, anything, Bueller, Bueller, and there's, there's just nothing. There's just, just absolutely nothing. And um, it's frustrating, but we continue and persist and pray and hope. You know, one of the weird things with uh, this letter is that previously, I, I believe it was in October, just a few months ago, Archbishop Vigano I wish I had the document in front of me, but he says words to this effect. He says that um, we know that there are shadows about Bergoglio's election. Um, and, uh, and so he was, you know, questioning his, I mean, but that's the whole point. If, 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 if either the previous Pope did not resign properly or the uh, conclave to elect the new Pope did not follow the rules properly, then the current pope would not be pope, right? So uh, why does um, why does Vigano, on the one hand, make a statement like that, and then a few months later turn around and make a statement like this? Yeah. In fact, um, he uh, he actually shifts some blame. And since we are we are commemorating the eighth anniversary of Benedetto's whatever he did, um, listen to what he says about Benedetto. Um, he says here. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, this is interesting. So let me, the Benedetto part is at the end. So he says here, it is humanly incredible and painful to have to recognize that a pope may be evil. This does not allow us to deny the evidence, nor does it require us to resign ourselves passively to the abusive power that he exercises in the name of God, yet against God. And if no one will want to assault the sacred palace in order to drive out the unworthy guest, legitimate and proportionate forms of real opposition can be exercised, including pressure to resign and abandon the office. Uh, it is precisely in order to defend the papacy and the sacred authority it receives from the high and eternal priest that it is necessary to admonish one who humiliates it, demolishes it, or abuses it, 
and here's the Benedetto part, <clears throat> I would even dare to say for the sake of completeness that also the apparently arbitrary renunciation of the exercise of the sacred authority of the Roman pontiff represents a very grave vulness to the papacy, meaning wound, and for this we must consider Benedict XVI responsible more than Bergoglio. Drop mic. Drop mic, yep. Yeah, so he's, he's uh, maybe made a few friends in that passage, you know, all the ones that are saying, well, we, we don't even, we don't want Benedict back. He abandoned us. He, he's the most terrible pope ever. Well, he's still, he's, he's, he's still the pope and, you know, having a raging fit about it, you know, <laughs> it's funny because they, they say exactly that about us is that, you know, it, it is what it is. And Francis is pope and you, you throwing a fit doesn't change anything. Well, mm -hmm. You're doing exactly the same thing with regards to Pope Benedict. You're saying, mm, I hate him. He reminds me of my father who abandoned me. Oh, good grief. Eye roll, you know. Uh, get, get in line. Get in line. Um, but but what, what, um, what it should do, and if, if you love the Holy Father and you're not coming at this from a completely narcissistic, selfish point of view, you look at what he did, and the first thought that should come into your mind is, good grief, what, what were they doing to him? Coercion, obviously, should be the first thing that jumps into your mind, especially given the fact that one of the very first things he uttered upon becoming the vicar of Christ was, pray for me that I not flee for fear of the wolves. I mean, hello, he flees for fear of the wolves. And instead of saying, mm, you remind me of my broken home, um, you should be saying, wait a minute, the whole thing's infested and infiltrated by Freemasons, communists, and sodomites, the whole thing. And now, it, it, with the benefit of hindsight, which eight years ago, I don't think China was really on any of our radars vis-a-vis -vis the Vatican. Now we know that the Chinese were, were all over him too. Okay, why are you not saying, instead of throwing your little narcissistic fit, why aren't you saying, wait a minute, Holy Father Pope Benedict, what did they do to you? Oh, look, right here in Canon Law 188, fear. It doesn't say the word coercion. The, the, the canon says fear. Um, fear is in play here, obviously. And it's such, it's such a beautiful, beautiful canon because with that coercion clause that's in there, our Lord has made it so that it is literally impossible to coerce a, a, a pope out of office. In the act, in the very act of the malefactor, engaging in coercion, they themselves are negating the validity of any putative resignation that might try to come out of that. It's, it's so beautiful and so perfect that, you know, it's, it's obviously from God and it's obviously the, the divine providence that Canon 188 is in place as it is with not only this coercion clause, which is beautiful, but also this substantial error clause. So that we've, we've got two arguments that are just 
like the two rocks of Gibraltar sitting there, um, you know, f- for us to see, okay, all right, all right, all right, there, this is, this is hinky, this is messed up. And, but if you're going to just, if you're just going to say, well, he isn't the Pope because I don't like him, again, high Protestant, what, what, do you, what do you think all of the liberals have been saying all along? They've been saying, well, I don't like Pope Benedict, when Pope Benedict was exercising the office. Well, I don't like him. I don't have to do anything he says. And then the same thing anytime JP2 said anything that was remotely Catholic. Well, I don't like him. I don't have to do anything he says. This is, this is just going to keep on. You're feeding into this. Look, it's an ontological reality. Christ is the determiner of who the vicar of Christ is. Christ gives the office and takes the office away. Whether or not you like so-and-so is, is not germane to the question. The, the only task that we have is to figure out the identity of the Vicar of Christ and how do we do that? Canon law. Yeah, I mean, I had somebody, I had somebody make this argument to me um, a couple of days ago about the whole nobody can judge, nobody can judge the sea of Peter. I'm not the one judging it, it's canon law. And who, who is the backstop and guarantor of canon law? It's Christ himself. So it's not, it's not saying I'm making some sort of a personal judgment. Look at, look at the objective reality. Look at what the canon law says. Compare the two things, and it's either congruent or it's incongruent. So you're able to say, okay, that's a square and that's a triangle. And we need both things to be triangle to be triangles. That that's not that's not judging and like I I don't like him. It's just a- acknowledging what is real and what is not. So that's kind of the response to the whole nobody nobody can judge the sea. Well, of course you can. It's right there. It, it, you can judge in the sense that canon law is right there. And why would these canons exist? especially 332.2, which, which addresses the resignation of a pope specifically. Why would that canon exist if it was completely unenforceable, if there was nothing anyone could do about it, if, if the Vicar of Christ could break that canon willy-nilly and there was absolutely no consequence to that, I, again, this is ramming into a wall of the law of non-contradiction at 100 miles an hour. You're saying that the canon law both is a thing, but it isn't a thing. It exists, but it doesn't exist. It's in force, but it's not in force. These are violations of the law of non-contradiction. Canon 332.2, uh, by the way, is the one where it says, if the Pope should resign his office, it must be properly manifested. Mm-hmm. And and it is. And well, it doesn't can I matter list twenty-seven they, ways how it wasn't properly manifested? Exa- exactly, and it reiterates that it, it doesn't have to be um, accepted by anyone. So the whole that that cuts that cuts down at the knees the whole idea that the College of Cardinals determine determine this. They don't. They don't. Oh. Good heavens, they really, really, really don't. Um, and this is, again, this is Vatican I and Pastor Eternus. The whole thing, the, the interaction, the, the intercourse between Christ and his vicar is exclusive to the two of them. There is no intermediary, nothing. The church is not an intermediary. The College of Cardinals is not an intermediary. Christ bestows the office on the man when he, when he assents and is validly elected. 
And if he resigns, Christ withdraws it. And there's nobody in the middle of that. But how do you know whether or not anything has happened? Canon law. That's how you know. The other thing at the end of this passage with uh, the archbishop, it's he's almost saying, you know, in, in calling Benedict out for doing what he did, well, if he really did resign, how can you call him out for that? Yeah. That's a totally legitimate option. Yeah. Who are you to judge? <laughs> well, well I, again, the really weird thing is that, again, just a few months ago, uh, Archbishop Vigano was saying things, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, uh, we, we need to investigate you know, what's going on with China and the Vatican, and uh, because when we learn more about that, we're going to learn more about why Benedict resigned. Um, so clearly, he himself was insinuating that uh, there was pressures applied here and that it was not, you know, a, a straight up, straightforward papal resignation. Um, yeah, I mean, so financially, we all look to when they shut off the um, the access to the what's it called, the span system, the, the ATM machines and access to access to international banking in the Vatican. We were all initially looking at that and thinking, okay, who's that? Is that Washington, D.C.? Is that London? Is that Brussels? And none of us realized eight years ago the extent to which China was a player in all of this and that China had involvement with the Vatican Bank and that, you know, China is in bed with with McCarrick and that St. Gallen Mafia cabal and there's a massive agenda by the Chinese to get an anti-pope who will then facilitate the destruction of the Catholic Church in Europe. And, and you think about it, guys, there's like, there's 65 million Catholics in China, which has 1.4 billion people. And Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party is just, is terrified, terrified of the Catholic Church. Why? Uh, because it's the one true church and it is the bulwark that, that stands astride history and fights and will vanquish um, global communism. And they know it. Deep, deep down, they know it. And Lucifer knows it, who's obviously the father of all of this. That's why a, a, a group that has just a, basically next to no one in it in China relative to the population now 65 million people that's that is equal to the total population of the nation of italy which is mind-blowing in terms of how big china is but 65 million to the chinese they, they should if they should just be shrugging their shoulders why are they doing this why, why are they taking over the vatican bankrolling the vatican engaging in this shady um, usurpation, installation of a puppet anti-pope, what, what in the world would they even care? Uh, all of us who have faith, we know exactly why. We know exactly why. And maybe we should also and mention what was happening, um, and we know this because we have the emails, but the entire Obama, Biden, Clinton, Podesta, mm -hmm. Catholic Spring yep. that was happening all the year leading up to this, um, and Biden's ties to China, I yep. mean, McCarrick, yeah, it all kind of fits together, doesn't it? Yep, yep. And, and you know, um, here's, I'm going to give you an interesting little quote here. Um, in August of 2019, 
uh, Bergoglio did an interview with La Stampa, okay, August 2019. And they asked him the question, uh, what do you fear most of all for our planet? What, what do you think his answer was? Youth unemployment and the loneliness of old people? <laughs> <laughs> Salvation of souls? No, that's no. not what he said. Um, the, the survey said that youth unemployment and loneliness was number four on the survey. Mm -hmm. uh, um, we're going to do family feud yeah, here. You're Mark, Dawson you want to? <laughs> Come on now! <laughs> Survey uh, says? <laughs> I'm going to say uh, the carbon footprint of air travel. <laughs> the, the close. I think that was number four on the survey. Um, all right. The, the hint, the clue is August 2019. What do you fear most of all for our planet? New lethal diseases. <gasps> mm hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. This Who is two that? months. Think, think about it for a minute. <laughs> Who would say that? Bill Gates. <laughs> yep. As as somebody once said, there 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 are no conspiracy theories, but there are no coincidences. That's right. And I've I've said, remember on December thirtieth, twenty nineteen, remember when he walked through the piazza that night and that little Chinese gal was there, and she said, Holy Father, Holy Father, and reached out, and the person who was next to her also reached out and grabbed him and pulled him back. He had been glad-handing. He had been working, the, working the, um, the line there. She reaches out and touches him, and he looks at her, and he sees that she's Chinese, and he literally assaulted this woman. He literally assaulted her. He was he was beating, beating on her on her arm to get her to stop touching him. It, it was absolutely remarkable. And in the moment, we all just thought he's crazy. He's a psychopath, which he is. But now, ooh, and you know, I mean, we were already starting to get dribs and drabs of the propaganda coming out of China, all those fake videos that the Chinese made of people just, you know, falling dead in the streets and all of that garbage and say, oh my gosh, we have this, we have this terrible, horrible pandemic and we have to weld people into their apartments. Guys, that was theater. That was 100% theater. And so Bergoglio, I absolutely believe that he knew that they were in on this and that the church was going to have a very, very large role to play in terms of pushing this, propagandizing this. You're going to have to you're going to have to shut down all the masses all of these, um, all the, the photo op events, the, the absolutely Luciferian um, events that they did in Holy Week and all that, where Bergoglio is sitting alone on the top of the steps of St. Peter's with a spotlight on him, in the rain, glowering down on a crucifix in shadow to, with a completely totally empty uh, piazza and completely totally empty Rome because everybody was under lockdown at that point and you look at this and you say the, the yep the anti-church was 
I think they were aware of it, they were in bed with it, and they were told you are going to have a massive part to play with this, and we're still seeing it now with Bergoglio constantly going on about how it's morally obligatory to get the um, dead baby um, sterilization quaxine, and that you have to do this and it's morally obligatory. You know, you, you, don't, you don't have to go to mass. You don't have to go to confession. You don't have to believe anything. You don't have to, um, you don't have to honor your marriage vows. You don't have to do any of that. But you, using the term not um, sacrilegiously, by God, you have to get this quaxine. Um, it's, it's obvious that the Vatican was 100% and continues to be 100% a key player in the whole Corona scam totalitarian putsch. Not only do you not have to, mm -hmm. uh, I was just going to say, not only do you not have to honor your marriage vows, in some cases it's God, God who, who himself is calling you to disregard them. Uh, just last thing, Dr. Matza on that, uh, was it Good Friday? What night was it with the, that scene in, in St. Peter's uh, with, I mean, I remember doing a post about that and I don't think I wrote any words. I think I pasted like six pictures from that night um, and just said, guys, look at this. Well, you know what got my goat is the fact that he that crucifix that he used is is I'm a, obviously I'm a medievalist. That's a medieval relic. I mean, it's hundreds of years old, and and after he left it out in the rain, it started to rot and deteriorate. That's, well, that's right. a good metaphor. That's right. Good that's metaphor. Another, it's, it's, it's another uh, you know visual, uh, maybe not so visual, but it's it's yeah. Confirming <laughs> but, set. But you yeah. know. So I wanted to say a couple of things here about um, the the, you know, the anniversary of of the uh, quote unquote resignation, um, and in regards to kind of what we're talking about here in terms of lawlessness and chaos and and disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, when I when I was a guest on Dr. Taylor Marshall's um, show back in June, uh, I brought this up. So I don't know how many people have have heard this, but so. Joseph Ratzinger, Benedict XVI, could have chosen to exit the stage, right, on any any date that he wanted to do it, right? I mean, it was totally out of, he, he totally did it out of the blue. The, the people that were in, in the uh, consistory that day had no clue that he was about to spring this on them. I mean, the, the, the purpose for them to, to be there on February the 11th was because he was uh, announcing that there, he was going to make, uh, he was canonizing the martyrs of Otranto. Uh, who were, you know, killed to a man by the Muslim Turks for refusing to renounce the Catholic faith, uh, and he just and he just springs this resignation or whatever uh, on people. But so he announced it on February 11th. But he says it's going to take effect. His last day in office, so to speak, is supposed to be February 28th. Now, why did he choose February 28th? I mean, he could have chosen. April 27th or August 12th, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I started thinking about this and, and guess what happened exactly 80 years earlier on February 28th, 1933. Uh, well, it's, it's something called the Reichstag Fire Decree. Uh, and Benedict being a German, he knows this, okay? This is not something that's coincident. Again, there's, there's, there's no conspiracy theories, but there's no coincidences. 
uh, and this is actually timely because uh, this has actually come up in secular news recently. So what happened was this, right? So after World War I, there was the Weimar Republic in Germany. And because they had to pay all this, this big war indemnity, because they got you know blamed for causing World War I all by themselves, they had to pay off millions and millions of dollars. They, you know, the, the Deutsche Mark or whatever lost its value and people are, have wheelbarrows of cash, you know, that it's, it's worthless. And what happened was the communists saw this as their opportunity to try to overthrow the country. Um, and also the Nazis saw this as their opportunity to overthrow the country. And, and, and Hitler already had some kind of semi-official position within the government, but his party did not actually have a majority in the Reichstag, which is basically their, their version of Congress or Parliament. Long story short, on February 27th, 1933, somebody set fire to the Reichstag. And to this day, we're not 100% sure whether it was the communists or whether it was the Nazis. But in any event, the Nazis used this as an opportunity to suspend law, to suspend the Constitution, and, and also to, to eliminate uh, all the communists and throw them in prison or kill them. But um, I can read to you briefly uh, here. I have a something I found online. It says here, um, the decree of the Reich president for the protection of the people and state, uh, the Reichstag fire gave Hitler the welcome opportunity to eliminate any and all political opposition. The next day, he persuaded President Hindenburg to issue the decree of the Reich president for the protection of the people and state, or the Reichstag fire decree. It suspended most of the basic rights of the Weimar Constitution and tightened the Reich's control over state governments. Now, this lawlessness, if you will, has a special word in German. Do you guys know what that is? Oh. <laughs> Hassenpfeffer. <laughs> Someone watched too many Bugs Bunny cartoons growing up. <laughs> Hassen das ist Hunsen! <laughs> da, ja, das ist Hunsen! Uh, Hansel? The, uh... Hansel? Hansel? <laughs> I remember that so well. <laughs> no. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So, um, well, uh, I would refer back to a certain speech given at the Gregorianum exactly in right. May <gasps> of no. 2016. No yeah. Way. Let me. <laughs> oh yeah, so. So uh, we all know uh, Archbishop Georg Ganswein gave an address about Pope Benedict and the expanded Petrine ministry in May of 2016 at the Gregorian University in Rome. And this is what he says. It says, um, what Benedict has done has been, quote, daring enough to open the door to a new phase, to that historical turning point. We live in an historic era which in the 2,000-year history of the church is without precedent. Many people even today continue to see this new situation as a kind of exceptional state or state of exception of the divinely instituted office of Peter. Now, he said this in German, uh, which I'm about to butcher here. Please forgive me. Ein Art Gottlichen Ausnahmast I, I, or I'll spell it, A-U-S-N-A-H-M-E-Z-U-S-T-A-N-D-E-S. -E -E just rolls off your tongue, yeah, doesn't it? Pfeffer, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, 
this is the exact term that political scientists use for, you know, the, the, the decree, uh, the, the German decree about the Reichstag fire. Oh, my it, gosh. It, it, oh, my gosh. I, if, it, it means that lawful order has been suspended indefinitely, so to speak. Well, there's a new nugget. <laughs> and, you know, I listened to your thing. I, lis- I listened to that, that Taylor Marshall, and I don't... Why, why did this not just punch me in the face the way it is right now? Well, well I was throwing everything in, uh, besides the kitchen sink <laughs> uh, at, at uh, Dr. Marshall to try to persuade him of the, of, of the, of, of the enormous evidence that we have that, uh, that something is fishy about... Benedict's uh, resignation, but um, it might have more meaning for us now because of certain events that have taken place in a certain world capital last mm-hmm, month, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and certain reactions that have happened since then. Yeah, wh- yeah when I, I, that happened on on January sixth, I was you know as were most people, I was online and watching. And I remember very clearly one comment came up on one thread that I was watching and it said, guys, this is the Reichstag, this is our Reichstag fire. This is a Reichstag fire. That was, it, was, it was obvious what was going on and sure enough, it's, it's exactly the same thing. Yep. That was, that was Oaks who called that early. Mm, mm, okay, yep. But here, the news here for me in terms of the... The, we've been talking about the the suspension of normal law and the state of exception. We've been talking about that, about that for and the Ganswine speech, obviously, for for quite a while. But the new part for me was the 28th of February date was actually the 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 date of the Reichstag decree. Mm-hmm. 80th anniversary. Was, the 80th anniversary, which was a suspension of law yeah like, that's mind-blowing wow okay so and yes so, I so, mean, dr yeah. dr matza hinted at it but uh we were just talking about what happened on january 6th uh we're already seeing in the intervening uh, month we're recording this on february 6th uh we've already seen what's going to happen some of it's already happened but it's going to be a complete suspension of all God-given uh, rights and all manner of just terrible stuff coming down the pike. So, and, yeah. and and an ideological purge. And I've um, I got wind uh, just within the past week, just this week. There is um, there's something coming that they're drafting some sort of a what it's basically going to be um, a, a loyalty oath, something very very much akin to what happened during the French Revolution. Um, where priests were asked and bishops were asked to swear a loyalty oath to the government stating that the church is is under the government. And, you know, um, I was told by a priest that I was talking to that if you, if you put this document in front of him, which is kind of being, I guess it's being negotiated and hammered out now, 
that you, you cannot sign it. And, oh, I know what it is because it's happening in France. It's the French Bishops' Conference that is like working on some sort of a loyalty oath saying that the church is under the state, you know, with, of course, with the corona scam being the alleged, um, the alleged reason for all this. And the point that was made that was so interesting and so brilliant is this priest said, look, if they, if they put that document in front of me, I couldn't sign it. But you know what? All of the Muslims can and will sign it because they have two doctrines called Takia, which ratifies lying, and Kithman, which um, ratifies them publicly, basically apostatizing. But they're allowed to do that if it advances um, the goals of Islam. I mean, isn't not, that to, not just a, not just allowed to do it? They would be under an obligation under an to obligation do to do it. So there are there are Musloids historically who have even gone so far as to receive baptism under they think this doctrine of Kithman that they are obliged to infiltrate a society in order to enable its conquering and its full takeover eventually by Islam. So all of the Islamic clerics in France are going to sign this document saying, oh, sure, yeah, we submit, we submit to the government because um, mendacity and a complete lack of integrity is literally legally baked in to the Musloid political, political system. It's, it's stunning. And you, say, and you just see this coming like, like a freight train coming across the western Kansas prairies. I mean, you see it coming 100 miles away and nobody seems to care. And, and frankly, most people in the, in the um, institutional church, Novus Ordo and anti-church, as much as you, know, you draw those lines and make those dis- distinctions, oh, they're all on board with the whole Corona putsch and, and all this stuff. They're on board with it. So- I was going to say, what, what, the, what difference does a document make? They've all capitulated. I mean, there there were, I don't know how many weeks went by where this was true. Maybe it was months. I don't know. I, I never was cut off from access to the sacraments, mm-hmm. thanks be to God. Yep. But every public mass in the United States, every single diocese of the United States went away for a period of time, mm-hmm. depending on, you know, varying depending on the on the diocese. But think about, that's unthinkable. If global we're sitting here interdict. a year ago, that's, yes. Yep. Global interdict, yep. And so, as Dr. Marshall and other people have pointed out, the, the, the U.S. bishops got billions of dollars from the government. Uh-huh. Did you hear about that with the, uh, yes. for the corona? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like six billion. Mm-hmm. Because, so because so, the um, money they got for um, human trafficking people across the, the Mexican border, that just wasn't quite enough. They needed they needed even more. And you know what's coming is people are looking and saying, "Wait a minute! They took billions and billions and billions of dollars, and they're sitting they're sitting on billions and billions and billions in assets." And I'm telling you, where this is all going is, if there is not supernatural intervention, we're going to lose all of the real estate one way or another. It's going away, and I think people are inordinately terrified of the fact that we can't lose the churches we can't lose the real estate we can't well it's how why, you need to be willing to give that stuff up you need to be willing to lay that down 
in order for the long to have the longer term goal of you know the church surviving and in fact um it, ask ask any frenchman ask any french priest they've lost the real estate in france three times in the last 225 years and you know mo- <laughs> some of the churches are still standing the ones that the muslims haven't burned down but um yeah, they, this, is, this is a thing that happens, but, Amer- but Americans are just terrified. And frankly, Americans are the ones who have the least reason to be terrified because most churches in the United States are architecturally hideous, and it wouldn't be <laughs> that much of a loss for, you know, anything built after about, anything post-war um, to just go ahead and go away because after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, we're going to have to build, you know, actual beautiful churches that are, that are worthy of our Lord and the Holy Sacrifice again. So, you know, it's, it's the issue is losing, losing all the artistic patrimony over in Europe and Italy and France and all of that. But again, I mean, you have to be willing to lay that stuff down because that's that's not what the church is that's not the telos of man it's 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 wonderful and it's been it's been a gift from god for us to have all of that but it can all go away and the faith is still the faith and the church is still the church so well this is why it's so important to figure out who is or who is not the pope mm-hmm. i mean with all due respect to archbishop vigano here because the only person, according to the Fatima plan, sent from our Lord and Our Lady themselves, the only way to stop the success of communism taking over every country in the world, mm-hmm. according to Sister Lucia, is for the Pope and the bishops to consecrate Russia, finally, to her Immaculate Heart, which has not been done up to this point. Right. And so we need to establish who is and who is not the Pope. Right. And so there's a, a Marian uh, dimension to this, uh, and it's and it's urgent because this is the only. There is no other solution. I mean, obviously, prayer and penance and sacrifice is going to help make this happen. But practically speaking, that's the only practical solution, spiritual solution. And just a little point of hope, a little bit of good news. I heard this point made recently, and I thought it was, hey, that's really cool. You, I mean, you think about. Oh my goodness! The the how how just basically impossible would it be at this point to get all of the bishops, the vast majority of whom are are heretics, many of them are apostates, to to even get them to do this? Well, that's kind of an interesting question because if there is some sort of a formal, um, you know, like a juring where people are taking loyalty oaths and signing on the dotted line so that there is a clear list of who's in and who's out, there aren't very many bishops actually left in the world in, in that sense, if you see what I'm saying. So it isn't, right. it isn't the, a matter of we need to get, you know, Blaise Supich to sign on to the consecration, the Fatima consecration. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, it's it's Cardinal Burke, and you you know, you can make a line, a list. They're actually, it's not as difficult as it sounds. 
it's not as difficult as it sounds. And this kind of segues into another concept. Um, I'll drop it, and then if we want to, if we want to circle back, like what's her name, Jen Saki keeps saying, I'm jumping to circle back. Um, oh boy. <laughs> um, the whole notion of um, the, you know, the car, the College of Cardinals is completely hopeless, and and even if, I mean, what do you do? How do you ever have another, you know, validly elected? Pope ever again because of this mess, um, I would remind everybody that the Cardinal Seed didn't even exist until the 800s. Um, the College of Cardinals, the Cardinal Seed, this is actually not necessary. There are, there are all kinds of ways that this could proceed forward and this could resolve. One of them being, I mean, this is just off the top of my head, is the College of Cardinals being completely dissolved and the Pope writing a document, it would be called a bull, writing a bull saying, I appoint this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, like eight, eight men, and they will form a selection committee and they will be the electors of the next Pope. And those men don't even have to be cardinals. It could be anybody. It could be, you know, an abbot of a monastery. It could be, it could be a priest. Um, I, I suppose technically, it could be a baptized. It could be a baptized layman on on a council like that. The the possibilities with regards to um, moving forward and and getting, you know, the continuation, the continuity of the papacy of, in, in and of itself. Don't believe these arguments that we are totally, completely locked in to the College of Cardinals and that whole paradigm because for, let's see, if, if the College of Cardinals didn't even exist till the 800s and that's when all of that started, that means that, doing some math, 40% of the 2,000-year history of the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church on Earth did not have have any sort of college of cardinals or conclave to elect the successor to of to the see of peter so you got to think outside the box there's all kinds of possibilities here that we can't even we can't even fathom and i promise you this is going to resolve by some sort of a thing in which all of us including the three of us are going to just sit and marvel and say whoa that was so cool how that happened you know and i hope i live to see it yeah, I mean, a true pope can make up whatever rules he wants yep. to determine who the. Yeah, absolutely. He's not. He's not bound by anything. That's yep. kind of going back to the very beginning of this podcast. But uh, the other thing that I'm still I'm chewing on is your is your comment from a minute ago about uh, Fatima and a point that maybe well I'm sure that I've never considered before, which is in terms of getting the bishops of the world to be united in this consecration with the true pope. And how difficult that would be. I think your point was, would it really be that difficult? We're talking about Catholics. Mm -hmm. How many Catholic bishops yeah. are there? And that number is not very high. So would it really be that difficult to get them together? I think the only thing we, yeah. need, we, we need at this point, just a, a, a clear line in the sand so that we know who's in and who's out. And I suspect that the corona scam is going to be the mechanism by which that line in the sand emerges. And this is another example of potentially, you know, an example of God writing straight on crooked lines and the divine providence always working for the good. Because I mean, at this, as we sit here at our respective tables, as as we're recording this, 
how could you have ever contemplated anything like that happening um, up until Corona scam happened? And you say, oh, okay, all right. The divine providence is good. He's gonna, he's gonna use this to to give us this out so that we know exactly who's in and who's out. And they're they're gonna sign. They're gonna have to sign on the dotted line and take loyalty oaths and all this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I. And you know, and go ahead. You know what's interesting is for for decades. Um, you know, I remember back in the early '80s, Father Gruner. Was, was arguing that a pope could get 100% cooperation from the bishops if he issued an order saying that either you make this consecration of Russia together with me or you're excommunicated, yeah. uh, in, in which case he would get 100% cooperation. But uh, another way of getting 100% cooperation is, as you point out, if, if the Catholic bishops actually do this, because here, let me quote a doctor of the church here, St. Alphonsus Liguri, mm. if ever, yeah, and he's, and this is, he's talking about, in the quote I'm about to read, he's talking about a pope, but this would apply to any bishop. If ever a pope, as a private person, would fall into heresy, then he would immediately fall from the papacy. For since he would be outside the church, he could no longer be the head of the church. And this is in keeping with a, a traditional fact of the church's history that a, a, a bishop who is informal heresy uh he loses his office so again if if the le legitimate pope wanted 100 percent cooperation in the consecration of russia from the bishops he would simply just have, have the catholic bishops do it with him and, and they're they're probably in the minority <laughs> um, well, i think that's the, that's the understatement of the day dr Matza. yes <laughs> i believe catholic bishops are in the mini minority of the college yes and then uh, the lastly, um, my money, if I was a betting man, uh, is that in Joseph Ratzinger's Pope Benedict XVI's last spiritual testament, I think there could be instructions in there on how the papacy is going to continue, vis-a-vis -vis what you guys were just talking about a few minutes ago, in terms of what is the mechanism for electing the next true pope. That's why I, I, I totally shoot down all these accusations against us that you're a bunch of Sede Vicantists and what happens when, when Pope Benedict dies, you're all going to be Sede Vicantists. Uh, no, I think Benedict has a plan. Um, I could be mistaken, but if, if Benedict doesn't have a plan, Divine Providence certainly does. Divine Providence does, absolutely. And that's the difference because I, I really want to make this point because for a second there, that echoed and sounded very strongly of, you know, QAnon and trust the plan, trust the plan. That That's a completely different situation. We are talking about the supernatural reality of of the one holy catholic and apostolic church and we are talking about the reality of the juridical office instituted by christ himself and guaranteed by christ his own supernatural negative protection and guaranteed that this office will last until he returns in glory um you cannot draw you can't say well if you didn't trust the plan over here with QAnon and Trump and all of that. Uh, yeah, exactly. You can't even draw any sort of a parallel just because, 
you know, Trump is not um, is not occupying an office instituted by Christ and the United States of America, founded by Freemasons, sure as heck isn't anything that can be even remotely compared to the body and bride of Christ, his church on earth, the church militant. And to draw to draw those conclusions or say, well, you're you're a hypocrite because you didn't trust the plan with QAnon, but now you're saying trust the plan with Pope Benedict. Darn right, because I'm able to draw the distinction between supernatural things, the church and the juridical office of, of the papacy, and the very, very, very transient reality of the the United States of America. And and this is this has always been a problem with Americans especially Protestant Americans who um, openly sometimes declare that they believe that the fa- the organizational documents of the United States are are divinely inspired and put them on par with scripture who openly confess that they believe the founding fathers to have been de facto saints you know Jefferson Franklin Etc. Etc. Washington, um, Jefferson, and Franklin, especially. Um, if you knew about those guys' personal lives, um, I think you would be whistling a different a different tune. De- uh, Jefferson was a deist. Franklin was a Freemason. Both of them were had very severe Six Commandment issues. I mean, it's 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 really really dangerous the way people have um have deified and attempted to to sanctify the united states and now now they're confused and they're scandalized because as it's as it's falling apart they just they this they're, they're thinking this this isn't possible this can't be happening the dollar can never cease to be the global reserve currency da 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 da, da. it's one of the most historically obtuse positions I think anyone can hold because the United States has existed obviously for 245 years which historically speaking is a flash in the pan kids it's a flash in the pan and I'm convinced that it will go down in history as a flash in the pan yes indeed um one wonders how anyone with uh, any kind of theological um religious outlook can honestly survey the state of the United States and not see, you know, where not only the beginnings, but where we are now, folks, take a look at where we are now. It's, it's, it can't go on guys. And I think a lot of people deep down know it, but it's, it's, it was so big and it was so powerful and there was such an illusion of stability that it's it's akin to an earthquake you know you you're in an earthquake and you're seeing you know buildings and structures moving and the ground itself is moving and your lizard brain is saying this shouldn't be possible this should not be possible the ground doesn't move the ground doesn't you know go in waves like the ocean and yet you're you're sitting there and you can see it you can see it happening and you can't even process it i think that's sadly where a lot of americans are because they lack um they lack a good historical perspective clearly because they have not enrolled in and taken dr Motz's classes online this is the entire problem so yeah well let's shameless we, plug we, we've got a, we've got about 15 minutes left so if you want to launch into a last uh, topic or uh we've got some additional spring 
class coming up, do we? Well, yes. Uh, I have been working in my secret laboratory on, <laughs> on uh, designing a new course, uh, which, which I hope I will start on Thursday, March the 25th, because it's the Feast of the Annunciation of the Incarnation and the day that Frodo destroyed the ring. Um, mm, and it's yes. going to be entitled um, The Body of Christ versus the Body of Satan. Ooh. Very subtle, don't you think? Ooh, very subtle. Uh, <laughs> very, nice. very nice. And what I hope to go into, uh, probably be like a four, four to six week course, like a mini course, like the Advent course we did. Uh, and what it will be is I want to focus on three aspects of the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the literal body that he got from Our Lady and which died for our sins which is why I want to start it on March 25th. Uh, and secondly, the, the body of Christ, that same body of Christ that we receive in the Eucharist and the history of the Eucharist. And then thirdly, th the mystical body of Christ, of which all the baptized, right, the faithful here, are, are members in, 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 in a reality. It's not just, you know, nice poetry, mm -hmm. but it's, a, it's an ontological fact that uh, you know, somebody, some little girl in Kansas who who helps her mother with with the cooking, when she does an act of charity like that, I can actually share in the merits of that <laughs> because we're all part of that same organism, that same body. We're all cells in the same body. So um, it's a super important I point, <laughs> and you know, for. I've been doing this since March that every time, which is almost every day, that I have access to, to Mass and Holy Communion, I intentionally share that with the entire mystical body. Because how many people are denied that right now, don't have access mm -hmm. even if they wanted it? Mm. So please, everyone, you know, make, make that intention uh, every time you're at Mass because it's, uh, well... Who knows it used, what's going it to, happen, used to be that that mindset was um, that you would share it with the poor souls. And now the, the church suffering and the church militant are in a certain sense kind of in the same boat, you know. And so you, you, have, to, you have to share and um, be present for all of the people who can't. And um, it, isn't, it isn't just the poor souls in purgatory anymore. Now it's, it's our living brothers and sisters on earth. And that's, that's why we go and, and we, we have to keep it in our minds. And I, every single time as I leave the church, I look back at the tabernacle and I say to him, if this was the last mass I'm ever able to attend, and then thank you because it's possible i suppose it's possible anything could happen especially with that that's the lesson of the last year absolutely anything can happen and every time you you receive holy communion you should be conscious of the fact that it could be the last time on earth it could be your viaticum it could be and you need to be very keenly aware of that especially now i mean no, sanctify very very holy people have, have that thought has occurred to them a long time ago this is nothing new but boy i think for a lot of people today they're confronting it for the first time of their lives because they're realizing oh i can't take this for granted this this might go away and might go away permanently for the rest of my life and i'll never get it again um after today so yeah and that, and that's another reason why by the grace of god i hope i can pull off this course is because uh, 
in, in line with what you just said, we don't know when God is going to take us. We may not have access to the sacrament of confession. And so we need to, to be uh, practicing perfect contrition. Now, perfect contrition is something that you have when you're sorry for your sins because they've hurt God and God is all good and deserving of all of our love. Not simply that you're afraid of going to hell. That's not, that's imperfect contrition. So the best way to, to the best way to foster um, and, and develop perfect contrition is by studying the passion, studying what was done to our Lord's body for our sake mm-hmm. and the goodness of God uh, and, and loving God for his own sake, not for all the gifts that he's given us, but loving the giver of those gifts. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's something I hope to hit on um, in this as well. It's so important. That's very, very well put. And uh, so perfect contrition, folks, if you if you get in, into a dire situation, um, like Dr. Matza just described, the ability to have perfect contrition at the point of death is equivalent to sacramental confession. But if you haven't had a very long time practicing loving your creator, you can't do it in a split second. Yeah. So start now. Especially when you're panicking and maybe getting ready within seconds to lose consciousness. I mean, as Super super Nerd puts it, you know, there was one person who, when the Twin Towers collapsed, one person rode them down and survived. Um, Don't, don't play that game. Don't, don't take that risk. Don't put yourself in that position. Um, But yeah, all things, all things are possible. And, um, I'm sorry, Mark, did you want I was just going to th- close that off and say, you know, start today learning to love your creator by learning to love him through his law. It's a beautiful thing. It may it's it's a it's a barrier at first and it and it becomes something beautiful. Mhm. People pe- people who who like Bergoglio. I mean, another dude, could there could there be a bigger red flag? The guy is constantly raging and railing against the law i mean if i'm hard pressed to think of a clearer sign of a person being just under the influence of the diabolical because one once you get in and once you realize as mark just said what a gift the law is that we can look at it and know and our lord has said look when you do this 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 and this you are breaking my heart because you're hurting yourself, you're hurting other people, or you're just hurting me. Um, you're just hurting me by ignoring me or denying me or anything. Think about, you know, we see all these um, television shows and, and talk shows and touchy-feely and, and therapy and all this. And, you know, married couples are constantly complaining that you don't talk to me, you don't communicate with me, you don't tell me, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're thinking, I don't know what you're feeling. God is the opposite of that. He is not playing any of these manipulative relationship games. We've got the law and he's saying, look guys, here's where I am. And when you do these things, you, you break my heart please don't do them. And if you have, tell me you're sorry and stop doing them. Now you've got Bergoglio, probable false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist on the other side, just railing and railing and railing against the law. 
Stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. How can he be the vicar of Christ on earth if he hates the law, which he clearly, obviously, there's no bones about it. He hates the law. Contrast the one true God with Islam, where a thing and its opposite can both be true depending on the will of Allah at that point in time. The capricious will of of this faux deity who either doesn't exist, but simultaneously doesn't actually exist, but at the same time you can be argued that it's just, it's Lucifer masquerading, you know. Um, No rationality, nothing. You, You can't know. It is like the epitome of the abusive relationship. The, well, if you don't know what's wrong, I'm not going to tell you. And if, if you can't read my mind and you don't know what I want, and by the way, it changes on a dime. It ch- this is a classic diabolical narcissist tactic that, that, that DNs use on people. Just constantly changing the rules of the game so that you never, ever know where you stand, and therefore, you're always in the wrong. This, this is the foundational base premise of Islam and just another proof set. It's so interesting in Dr. Matz's history course talking about the old ancient um, um, Islamic thinkers like um, Averroes and Avicenna and you know these guys that Thomas Aquinas is citing all the time in, um, in the Summa and in all of his writings. The reason that those guys, those poor guys, they were under threat constantly of of execution they were under threat at all times and they couldn't they couldn't apostatize publicly but they were obviously they were tapped into the truth and so yeah back way back there were men who were thinkers and philosophers who were inside of the musloid political system masquerading as a religion but we have the utmost confidence that none of them believed any of it because it's so clearly, obviously nonsense, um, as we just described with the with the capricious um, deity that is pure will without any logic, reason, or rationality whatsoever. So, and I think it's go- significant. Um, go sorry, I was going to say I think it's significant that Our Lady in the 20th century chose Fatima in mm-hmm. Portugal. For people who don't know this, Fatima. Uh, was the name of Muhammad's daughter, uh, and and it was the name of an Islamic princess because at one time the Iberian Peninsula was was conquered by the Muslims, um, and so uh, people like you know Archbishop Sheen and others have pointed out that um, Mary is going to ultimately be the catalyst to convert the Muslims, uh, and also to convert the to convert the communists. And if I could just, since people are listening to this on February the 11th, the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, I, I'd like to tie this in with Pope Benedict's uh, act of that day eight years ago. It's interesting that in one of his interviews with Seewald, uh, Peter Seewald, last testament in his own words, I find this passage interesting. I'll throw it at you guys. Uh, Seewald says to Benedict, you wanted to resign originally in December, but then settled on the 11th of February rose monday feast day of our lady of lourdes does this have a symbolic significance and when i hear that my ears perk up Mm -hmm. because if benedict can't talk publicly he has to give us breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. so let's listen to what he says here he says i was not aware of the fact that it was rose monday 
and then I looked up what's Rose Monday. Apparently in Germany, uh, it's like Fat Tuesday. It's right before, you know, uh, Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, this, he says, uh, Benedict says, this caused disturbances in Germany. It was the day of Madonna of Lourdes. The feast of Bernadette of Lourdes is on my birthday, though. And for the public to know, that that's um, April the 16th. Um, is, is his birthday and the feast, feast of St. Bernadette. Now, he continues, he says, um, in this sense, there are connections, and it seems right to me that I did it on this day. And then he says, uh, so this moment in time has, and he pauses, like a pregnant pause, certainly an inner connection, yes. I think there's something profound in there. He didn't actually come out and say it, but there's there's something Marian going on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's entirely possible. Another point that was made to me just this past week by a priest is Pope Benedict has seen the real third secret, and it it could say almost anything. Um, there could be something in there that just totally explains all this. I hope so. I sure hope so. Um, I, well, we certainly know that he he what he released of the third secret. We've talked about this. Yeah. Isn't really it? Yeah, yeah. So he had a so he had a motive for that. So mm. let's let's keep praying. And you know what? It's gonna be really interesting when it all comes out. And I'd like to live to see it, but of course, all in it's all up to God. And and um, but it's gonna be great. It's gonna be so fantastic when it happens. It's I, you know I so many people are so depressed and oh this is terrible and this is terrible and god forgive me i mean i know lots lots and lots of people are suffering obviously and people are dying without the sacraments and all that but at the same time i'm filled with just a joyous expectation of seeing how this is going to resolve because it is going to be one of the coolest things if not maybe the coolest thing in the 2000 year history of the church since um since pentecost it's going to be it's going to be that big it's not a coincidence that um, the people who are clawing and screeching at each other and filled with anxiety and angst aren't us. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's uh, it it brings peace, you know. D- truth truth brings peace, and I I certainly have that to a certain extent. But at the same time, you're also animated to get out there and work and do things and Mm -hmm. you know i i know it's the same for you mark mark you know has full-time job you know dr mott's the same thing i and i say to to mark to super nerd to everybody i've got a list of essays to write as long as my arm if i have any sort of writer's block in any sense it's because there's so much to say that you're like okay well, where do I even start? What do I do today? And, you know, but the thing that's cool is that every day little cues emerge and things present themselves. And you say, okay, this is what I'm, this is what I'm do- going to do today. There is no lack of things to say, um, uh, connections to make. And even if, even if it's something that's, that's in terms of my blog, something a little bit comedic or a little bit lighthearted, 
that's a relief too to people sometimes. So there, there's just so much to do and we are so blessed to be alive in these times. It's, uh, I just, I, I marvel at it every single day. It's us, seriously? It's us who are here for this? Man. Well, I laugh about that a lot. Yeah. Better yeah, live up to common, it. It's not uncommon these days at all to have a have a, a an essay in your head and intending getting up in the morning and intending to to go at just that and you end up writing something completely different because of you know something happened or you saw something or oh yeah or whatever but um yeah for sure a traditional catholic blog today basically writes itself uh, yeah well but i need the comedic stuff too like wait when's the last time you did a time hop we need one of those yeah, I mean, you know, 45 years ago today is the same as what was happening 45 years before that. I need, yeah, more music. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of things to do. But um. <laughs> yeah, I've done some musical things uh, late, lately as well. And uh, also, you know, anything that ties in, we're going to wrap it up here. We're, we're at an hour 45. But things that point to truth in terms of beauty. And beauty can be in, in complexity, and it can also be in simplicity. And, you know, you write a lot, Anne, about math and yeah. numbers and how there's beauty in, in, in math. Yeah. And that's not an accident. It's pointing to something bigger. Oh, it's the thumbprint of God. I mean, he, he looks at us and we're discovering, we make discoveries about this, that, and the other. And I think he's, he's just giggling and waving at us through mathematics and through everything. And one of my favorite things and the one that I'm huge on right now is if you're, if you're feeling anxiety, just go get a deck of cards. I mean, that, that was such yes, a mind blower. that was great. 52 factorial, baby. 8 times 10 to the 67th. Shuffle a deck of cards and you're holding something that has never existed before and will never exist again in the, in the life of the universe. Because it's the, the number of combinations is that big. And that when I saw that, that blew my mind. And so you've got, you've got a little proof set just like that with something as stupid as a deck of cards and you're worried, you're worried that God doesn't have this and the divine providence isn't in control. Please, we laugh, we laugh hard. <laughs> Amen. Dr. Matt, not, <laughs> not, not a woman. Not a woman. Is that your final word? Just it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, uh, my final word was going to be, uh, but I think that was more poetic. Is that yeah? We we have to keep our sense of humor uh, and um, and and like you said, the appreciation for beauty, even in the midst of darkness and 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 evil. Uh, God is there, and we have to trust in Him, and and He is still beautiful, and um, you know, it's still great to be alive. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Alrighty, well, feedback. The email address for the show, if you have any comments or suggestions, is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors, at least one mass every day, plus one requiem every week for everyone who died in the previous week. Please pray for these priests and all priests now more than ever. The satanic forces are attacking, but your prayers to God for this intention can help hold back that tide. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. 
If you got some value out of this or previous podcasts and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com slash donate for more information. Super nerd, I guess that's all I have to say about that. And you want to do 17, Matthew 17, 20? Absolutely. Every day, fast twice a week if you can, fourfold intention, Matthew 17, 20. That Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living vicar of Christ since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that likewise Pope Benedict um, repent of anything that he might need to repent of, as you know, with any human being, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray. Pray for, for us. us. Pray for us. Yes. Amen. Well, until next time, I'm Mark. Stay frosty, my friends. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. 